Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. Business Q&A episode 174. Uh, Startup Business Q&A, of course, has been running every single week at this time, answering different questions on different topics. And this week, uh, we have one about every three or four months. So I think the last one was like 160 something. Uh, we cover an AMA on sales. Uh, it's the kind of the subject I really like talking about the most. So I think it's apt that I, I cover it, right? So um, you guys really want to talk about this clearly because uh, I've got a lot of questions come through, <coughs> excuse me, from um, all the way from LinkedIn and also from Facebook as well. So it really has been uh, non-stop. I've got an entire page of them. Um, I've selected like 10 or 12 uh, and we'll take those ones. Uh, but I'm really excited to cover the subject. A couple of notifications I'll get into in a second as well. But I'm really excited about this one. Um, and if you have any questions at all about sales, do jump in. Just to give you a bit of background on me, if this is your first time watching, after 173 previous episodes, uh, I've been, uh, I'm Richard Moore. I've been working with sales uh, as a part of my career for many years years. My first sale was when I was 13 years old because I was a bit of a nerd, let's say. I built a computer. Um, so I wasn't doing the soldering that, but I built all of the com components, put it all together uh, and um, sold it for a hundred pounds. I remember getting the bug back then. It was really exciting. And um, since then, I've always kind of been wanting to sell stuff. My first job back in 2002 after university was uh, selling internet platforms. Uh, then I went on to be a sales manager and so on, sold events, uh, worked in headhunting, uh, a number of other things as well. Um, and then I pivoted to consulting. Then I went to online consulting uh, and uh, sell many other things too. And now I'm one of my products is, is back in the events side of things, uh, as well as a number of courses, consulting, strategy work and all that kind of thing as well. So plenty of different things uh, I work with. So um, I've been enjoying working with corporates and individuals and startups. So kind of a lot of um, uh, spread in terms of working in, in consulting, sorry, and working in sales. So um, I feel that there's a, a strong amount of experience, time on the pitch, if you like, for a good 15 years or so uh, in this space. So uh, I've got plenty of things I can share on it. So those of you just jumping in, add in the comments if you're watching uh, as team replay, so hashtag team replay or as hashtag team live if you're watching right now and also where you're watching from. Uh, good to see some familiar names in here. So Juliana17, you're here like it's like clockwork every week on Instagram. Good to see you. Uh, Diana's watching from Melbourne. Uh, wow, I have everyone here at the moment. Carolina, uh, Laura, uh, Daniel, uh, Nadine, uh, Anthony uh, and, and so on on Facebook. Great to see you all here as well. And uh, I'll check um, LinkedIn in a second. A couple of notices before we start the uh, questions on uh, sales. Uh, let's have uh, uh, the main one, which was, of course, next week on Thursday. So I'm doing housekeeping, uh, uh, as you must, uh, with three platforms whilst talking to you at the same time. I've got to multitask in this job. Um, uh, so Thursday next week is Ottawa Entrepreneur Business Live, Entrepreneur Business Live the last one of 2019. We had LA last week, which was marvellous with Patrick, Andrew and, and Travis, uh, first one in, in LA. And Ottawa sees out the end of the year uh, after it's been an amazing year, to be honest, uh, travelling all over the world, uh, or rather the event has travelled over the world. Um, this one marks the start of a slight, a slight pivot in the model. 
So as you know, Entrepreneur Business Live has been three speakers helping those in the room uh, and also those watching the live stream. And money from the event, uh, so $10 from each ticket, has gone to a local charity. Much of that won't change. However, moving forward, starting with Ottawa and into next year, um, I'm making a slight pivot on how we do this. So um, it's still going to be charity driven. Um, uh, but what I really enjoyed about the events was that they were quite intimate. So what I mean by that is that there were smaller, say, 20 or 30 people. But I'd like to now, and that's good because it means the networking is really positive and everyone gets to kind of see each other. But I'd like to try something slightly different and I feel it's going to work where instead of charging for the events, they are now going to be free. What that means is that obviously a lot of people, a lot more people are likely to be coming. It's stunning how a few dollars is, is a barrier to entry for many. So we will be having a free uh, to attend uh, um, push in 2020. Um, and obviously, when, I don't know if, you, if any one of you run uh, free events before, you'll know that more people sign up than actually bother to come because they've not invested money in it as much. But I feel that the volume will be higher. And then there'll be the option to donate to our charity who will be front and center, who will get to speak at the front of the uh, of the event as well. So the publicity for the charity partner and indeed uh, all ticket money, all ticket money uh, that that in form of donations, you can buy a free ticket or you can buy a free ticket with a donation. Um, and uh, all ticket money will go directly to the charity partner. So if someone wants to pay $50, all that goes to charity partner. I feel the net result will be more people in the room and more charity donations. So that's the way we're going to move. And uh, Ottawa is to start with that. So if you know of anyone in Ottawa, tag them and tell them to go to the event. It'll be on the, on the 5th of December uh, and at a place called the Collab Space. They've got no WeWorks yet. I mean, I think they're... I don't, I've not been to Ottawa, so presumably it's, it's not just, you know, snow and bears and things. There, there's like infrastructure. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but no, needless to say, uh, I'm sure WeWorks are on their way, but they don't have one. So we're going to use this place called Collab Space. A marvellous chap called Emil is hosting it uh, uh, in terms of uh, letting us use that venue. And Nadine Langlois will be hosting the event alongside... Um, Dan Willis, amazing guy working with uh, a kind of mindset uh, in business uh, and streaming live will also be Sam Lister, a uh, marvellous chap from over in Milwaukee. So um, that, that event uh, is free to attend. Do jump in if you're keen on it. Um, and we also have uh, a winner today uh, of $50.00. So if you are not in my entrepreneur business group that supports these events, because you get to watch the live stream, but also a lot of other things as well. Uh, every so often there are giveaways in the group just because why not? Uh, so maybe interesting books, uh, other things. Uh, you get the chance to stream live and so on to share your ideas. Um, the the, the, the uh, uh, group also, we often just donate money. So it will be as simple as best comment gets $50. So I'm gonna cover that in a second. <clears throat> and we'll see who the winner is. But basically, you don't get to win these things unless you're in the group. So when you're on Facebook next, type into the search bar Entrepreneur Business Group and you'll find it and click in there. And uh, there's 4,100 people in that group right now. Marvellous engagement with wonderful ideas and wonderful people helping each other out. So I suggest you join in if it's interesting to you. So let's get into the questions now. I mean, just refresh up here on the old laptop and see if LinkedIn's actually working. Presumably is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Hello, LinkedIn. Uh, it's always the slow coach, right? But there we are. We're, we're live now and uh, I'll be interested to see who's watching. So thanks. I can see a few faces in there already. 
Diana is there. I can see also Alistair Ireland, uh, Carolina Mankowski, uh, Helen Renovic. Nice to see you as well. And also Jamil Al-Sabah. Nice to see you too. So let's get into the questions. First question came through from Tamika Sears. My question is, and a lot of you are going to love this one. My question is, <clears throat> does cold calling still work? <laughs> now, there's going to be lots of schools of thought on this, right? <clears throat> there's going to be a lot of people who are saying things like, well, it doesn't work as a reflection of how they feel about cold calling. And there'll be other people who say, well, it does work as a reflection of the results they've had with cold calling. What we need to do is take to one side how we feel about uncomfortable situations, because let's be real, cold calling, as in finding someone who you could sell to, who you know you can bring value to, dialing the number and working through a process of selling them, can be for many quite nerve-wracking. It can be quite thrilling for others, but it can be quite nerve-wracking because the truth is that people don't like to be sold to, none of us do, and it can be quite intrusive as well, but it's a very interesting point on whether or not cold calling is actually valuable or not. So for you, put in the comments as I'm answering this, cold calling, yes or no? Put in there, cold calling, yes or no? You can add an articulation if you choose, but in the comments, what do you think? Is it good or is it not, okay? So let's have a look at this. This is the same, literally the same as saying Facebook ads, do Facebook ads work? And I really want to draw in a friend of mine, uh, Roger Wilkerson, who has, who's done studies and surveys on cold calling, um, because I know that he's, he's against it, and I'm going to give a balanced treatment today on this. The truth is that statistically, he is right, statistically, as in if you add together all cold calls made by all people in the world, and look at where there are sales, statistically, cold calls relatively speaking, don't work. The, the, the turnover generated as a result of number of calls, you know, or the number of closes as opposed to number of calls made is outrageously shifted <laughs> heavily against you if you're cold calling. But it's the same as saying, do Facebook ads work? Facebook ads statistically do not work. Statistically, they do not work. As in, the number of ads ran I haven't even done the research, and this is obvious. Number of ads ran that convert to sales, uh, compared with those convert to sales, is hugely skewed in favor of ads that don't deliver. More people see an ad and don't take an action than do. Same with content, for instance, as well. But it doesn't mean that these ads are of no value. Because, the, and then it's the same with cold calling. The truth is, Facebook ads do work if you're good at Facebook ads. Cold calling, by comparison, is the same. Cold calling does not work if you're no good at cold calling. The issue with cold calling it is, is, is that it is aligned with this idea of trying to close people to make money. And because lots of people like value getting money, they go for trying to close people on things and irritate them, and there's a bad name alongside many salespeople. And cold calling often is very often to the point of almost all people. Statistically, most people cold calling are just doing it to try and ca cash in and make money, as opposed to 
going value-led first, thinking they've got really something you know, to, to really add. So what this means is that those that cold call without skill, just like those who place Facebook ads without skill, just like those who might drive a car without skill, it ends up being an ineffective approach. However, does cold calling work? Yes. And does it still work? Probably less so, because what it is a truth is that over time, people are conditioned to cold calls. They're conditioned to the truth that in the main, cold calls are ineffective or a waste of time. It doesn't mean they are ineffective or a waste of time. They're conditioned to the truth that typically they are. That is why in 2019, if my landline rings, I won't even answer it nowadays. In the 80s, the 1980s when I was a boy, if the landline rang, you would always answer it because it would be someone who wants to speak to you before mobiles. Then we move, so it's not always the same, right? The point is that people are conditioned over time against stuff. In the same way as Facebook ads, when they first happened, it was amazing and everyone would always click on them. Now it's not happening as much, so you have to be better. Cold calling would work when phones were first uh, invented, now it doesn't. And do you see, so the idea, no, now it doesn't as much, so you have to be better. Cold calling does work if you're well-trained and do well. And I personally have clients and I personally have been in roles in the past where cold calling was, if not a feature, the game for them. And they've done phenomenally well. And needless to say, there are plenty of attempts where they don't do so well. But well-trained sales teams that cold call can have plenty of very successful days every week where they generate sales. And those that don't turn into sales aren't necessarily a reflection of them being a pest. It's a reflection of maybe the approach isn't quite right. What that means is that those that are cold calling uh, and getting successes when they close are also cold calling and still not burning bridges and keeping a relationship with people that they don't close. So they're seen still as valuable, okay? It's a company I'm going to tomorrow and they're a perfect example of this. They are welcomed when they call because their name is, is, is a good one. And like, oh, well, thanks so much. The approach is well intended. And so they're doing cold calls the way they should be done. So is there a place, this begs the question, Tamika, is there, a, is there a place for cold calls now? Is there a place for cold calls in 2019? And I posted about this a couple of days ago on LinkedIn anyway. And in my opinion, and I'm right, because this is a discussion, this is why I brought in Roger Wilkerson, because he asked this question on, online. Um, my opinion is that in the world where we are interested in doing marketing, content marketing and bringing inbound traffic, for instance, that's great. And ideally what we want is to be in a world where people come to us and buy from us. That's fine. Well positioned, well framed. We end up with people wanting to buy from us. But in a world where potentially I'm just starting, if this is day one, if I need to pay money for something, if I have payroll due today, for instance, then it is of A1 importance that if I don't have any money, I go find it. And posting ads, flyer drops in letterboxes and 
you know, putting out content to hopefully uh, warm an audience that then will then close themselves is the dangerous approach for when you are desperate and really need money right away. Cold calling or knocking on doors or the online equivalent, which is approaching people, your, you know, so you outreach to someone is the better approach because it works in the moment. And that is the most effective, not interested in the most comfortable, the most effective way of selling now, as in today, is one-on-one -on -one manually with people because people buy people. And if you can get it right, you can do well in that approach, okay? Um, so that's, that's the way I look at it. I don't know what's going on with Facebook. Uh, can you give me a wave or a comment on Facebook if you're actually able to watch, okay? It seems to be everyone's joining a million and one times, but hopefully that's fine. But that's, that's really important to understand. There is a place for it. It works in the short term. If you're a nobody and you're just starting out, sorry, you're gonna have to go and knock on doors and approach people. You can't just always wait. There is obviously a place for marketing, but it requires some patience if you're good at marketing. It requires a lot of patience if you're crap at marketing because you've got to wait to warm the audience up a bit. But done well, cold calling has an absolutely, totally has a place. But if you're good enough to generate a perception that it is a really good value and so people will kind of come to you and you advertise in the right way and so on, well then yes, cold calling perhaps isn't as necessary as it might be for you. And for some companies, they don't use it at all. And it's fine and they're successful because they don't need it. But for many, and this is where I, I really want to give this treatment, for many, it's a case of saying, I feel uncomfortable, therefore I won't, superseding a desperate need to generate income now. And that's something you've got to watch out for. If you're running a business or starting up today, you've got to make sure that you are, are bringing oxygen in, which is, of course, the, the people who are going to buy your product. And if you want to do that right, a cold call is a good idea. Cold calling doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically pestering someone. Do a good bit of research. Find out why that person really should hear from you. And they'll be welcomed. Absolutely welcomed. But I remember when I got really good at cold calling, people would want to take that call because I gave them a good reason to do so. Maybe it was aligned with something I did with someone of, that they knew. Maybe it was um, based on, uh, you know, I came, I, I approached them with some information based on what they do and how I can help them with it. And it was like, that's quite useful, thank you. If you act the same as those people that create a feeling of, this must be a pest cold calling me, well then you deserve the same reaction that those people get. It's as simple as that, really. Tamika, it's an amazing question to, to hit us off, so thank you very much for that. Just before I go any further uh, and do another question and get into the incentive winner, let's have a look at what they're saying on uh, LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, for watching over there right now. Uh, Kushnor Azam is watching. Maple Ting, thank you for watching. Kushnor Azam, you're doing lots of comments, that's awesome. Kate Zigner, Matt Crump, good to see you here. Roxana Kruger, Brian Direck. Uh, Wendy Guhilla, Lee Lam as well. So all good to see you here. Um, Mirav Levine is there too. Uh, thank you very much. Give it a, a wave and let, on any of the platforms, so Instagram or Facebook, or if you're listening on a podcast afterwards or IGTV or here on LinkedIn, uh, and write in the comments where you're watching from. And if you're hashtag team live or hashtag team replay. Also, are you pro cold calling? Can you see value there? Or no, absolutely not cold calling. 
It's the worst thing in the world. And try, when you answer it, try and put to one side how you feel about being pestered and look at the practical application when it's done right. Because like I say, there's a direct parallel there with Facebook ads. Facebook ads don't work unless you're good at Facebook ads. Simple. Facebook ads do work if you're really good at Facebook ads. Statistically, it's unlikely to, that you're going to do well in Facebook ads because the majority of people doing Facebook ads don't do as well as the very top 1% who know what they're doing. Same with cold calling, okay? So let's go on to the next question because they've got, got loads to get through. Jesper back Engel, Richard Moore, I'll be on hashtag Team Replay. Jesper, you're in, you're in Denmark. There's no reason to be on Team Replay. Uh, but but you'll be on, on you you can be sure of it. He wrote. I'm. I still think my greatest pondering about sales is how much of an expert you should be on a product before presenting it to a customer. Look forward to hearing your take on this. Look, without question, right? You need to know your product very well. That's clear. However, however, um, what you need to understand is that the term expert is subjective and therefore relative. And what this means is if, if I am, you know, the perfect example is I said this to someone earlier today, is compared to my children, I am like a world-class footballer. My children are four and seven, okay? <laughs> and we don't play football that much. Compared to 10-year-olds, I'm really rather average. And compared with anyone who knows how to kick a ball straight, I'm not all that. And adults, forget it. I'm just no good. So it's a relative thing. When my children, I mean, it makes me feel so good when I'm at the park playing football with, with children who are seven. I feel like a rock star. But the truth is, it's nothing to be that impressed with. Because in, in reality, I'm actually not uh, an expert compared, you know, compared with many people except them. So the point I'm making here is you should be an expert on your product in that you understand your product. Okay? But you need to understand in terms of the leads, which I really th I think is what you're actually asking here, Jesper. When you're looking at the people you're approaching, the people you're approaching have to be qualified. How much of a need is there? For me, for instance, I'm really good at understanding LinkedIn strategy and content. That's why people ask me to help them with it all the time. I am really good at it. Um, but for some, I'm not good enough. There are some people who are utter rock stars at it, and they're all right. They don't need my help, okay? And then, but there are other people who are like, I don't know what I'm doing, could you help me? So expert is a relative term. And what that means is your service is valuable in the, to the eyes of the beholder. So the person who is engaging with your service or who, who is learning about the value you have on offer, that is the person who actually decides if you have value and or, or, or an expert or not, not you. Not, it's not the subjective thing. The perfect, perfect saying uh, is that the best kings aren't the ones who put crowns on their own head and don't call themselves experts. They're, they are the people who have other people put the crown on their head. So that's other people going, do you know what? I think you're an expert, you can really help me. So you need to think like that, Jesper. Um, qualify it. Are these people in need of your service? Are they not as good at you as you at that service? Therefore, they probably could value your service. But also think about the, the, the truth that you do need to be an expert on your product, 
not necessarily the entire ecosystem. There are plenty of little minutiae, bits of minutiae about, for instance, LinkedIn strategy that I don't know about because I don't work for LinkedIn. I'm not part of the coding team that builds the algorithm, but it's plenty more than the majority of people uh, that I do know. So that positions me relatively for some from their perspective as a, an expert. Great question. Uh, yes, but let's do one more before we announce the winner here. Luke Nethercliff, Team UK. Where are you? He might be here. I don't know. Probably on LinkedIn. Um, would you rec recommend a competitor if you think it is a better fit for potentially massive deal? So in truth, if you suggest someone else, then the trust level for you from that prospect will go through the roof because you're suggesting someone else instead. And, and the, the general, 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 general even feel that would be that you clearly would always promote yourself. But if you're saying, do you know what? I don't think this is right for you. You should actually do, buy from this person instead. The trust level went through the roof. And sometimes that actually makes them want you more. The question here I'm asking is based on how you wrote this. Would you recommend a competitor if you think is a better fit for a potentially massive deal? Mistake. The mistake is to say, I'm going to say I'm the right person for someone because it's a big deal, as opposed to I think I'm the right person for this one because I can do a good job. If you feel you can do a great job, you know there's a competitor. Remember this. That's the difference in what you're saying here. If someone wants to buy something from me that I don't do, that means there's not a good fit. If they're like, Richard, could you do the bouquets of flowers for my wedding? I'm like, I'm trying to find someone better for you, right? Whereas for, for something a lot more aligned with what I do, I'm not, le not necessarily as inclined to, su to uh, suggest a competitor. What I am inclined to do to is to make sure I'm at my absolute best game. The key here is to make sure you manage expectations. So rather than saying the best person to do precisely what I do is someone else because there's someone better, it's far better to say what is the level or scope of the way we would work what really would success look like for you? So in what set of um, results would you be like, that's a successful campaign with Richard? And if you feel you can deliver those things, you're good. That's fine. So, if, so my point is, otherwise you're always saying, oh, you should go by a better person. If there's someone who can do social media better than me, and I'm being asked about social media strategy as an example, um, then... I'm always sending people to other people who are, who are better than me. But it may be that they come to me because the fit isn't just the service they're after. They vibe with me a bit better. And actually, they're bought into whatever Richard Moore magic they, or charm they seem to have picked up through however we've interfaced up until that moment. So what I'm really saying here is that um, if you actually dive in a bit deeper and establish what it is that they're really looking for. So what would a successful relationship with you look like? And you can deliver on that. Well, then you should be taking the deal. If they're asking for something outside of your scope, well, then maybe an, uh, uh, this makes more sense for them to work with someone else. But why wouldn't you look at collaborating with another company and still having some involvement there. Do you see what I mean? So it might be that you collaborate with the competitor even. Uh, they get the deal because they can deliver on a certain thing that you can't, but you still manage it and be part of that process. That way you're not cutting yourself out altogether. But um, that's something to bear in mind. Understand the, the deliverables, 
because that's actually what you need to be clear on. If you can deliver on them, well then, why wouldn't you do it? Okay, so that, that's my, my view. Let's look at the winner. Um, by the way, if you're on LinkedIn, tell me how the, the quality is right now. I'm concerned that the quality of the signal looks a bit weak there for some weird reason. Um, and uh, the winner. So if you're in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook, it's been running for a few years now with several thousand people in it. All the time we have giveaways and things like that. And uh, last week, I think it was, I asked in a post, what is the biggest myth in building a business? And feel free to put in the comments here, what's the biggest myth in building a business? Uh, but in that post, the winner was the person with the best comment and the best comment gets $50 just thrown at them. So obviously there's a lot of opinions on this and there's actually a lot of duplication, including this winner. Um, it was, I think there was at least three that I saw who said the same thing. So I really like this because it's a bit of a pet hate of mine, this saying. <laughs> um, it's a bit of a pet hate when people don't quite realize what they're saying. It's like when people say your network is your net worth. It's like, it's not, it's your potential net worth because you have to actually put some effort in, okay? Just because I know Richard Branson, it doesn't mean I'm going to be a billionaire unless I do something with, with Richard Branson, all right? So your network is more than your, you know, it's your potential net worth. But that's not the one that, that came up. The biggest myth in building business, everyone had a great idea. There were quite a few that, that were similar, including this one, but this one, has a really great articulation of it. I think it was really well said. So the answer from this person was, myth, if you build it, they will come. Who's heard of that before, right? And it's so a massive myth. If you build it, they do not come. You have to build it, then distribute it. And that's the crucial part. Then they will come. It's better, it's like, if you build it, then no one will come unless you go and start the process of getting people. You know, you can't just build something in isolation and presume it goes viral and people come to you. Go and put the work in to distribute as well, okay? I know there's more intended in that saying, but it's a really big myth. And he's added truth. Even the best products or services will certainly fail with without effective lead generation and marketing efforts, so distribution. A successful business is like a symphony, composing it is only the beginning. That was such poetry that David Potts, you've won the, uh, the $50. So congratulations to you. And thank you everyone else who, who entered, There's loads of people who entered into that. If you're not in the group, you're missing out on A, free live streams of global entrepreneur business live events that we, we stream all of the speakers for free in that group and be giveaways like that, which is just a bit of fun. And $50 isn't going to change the world. But the point is we're a serious group that helps each other out. So entrepreneur business group, make sure you jump in. Congratulations to David Potts. More questions. David, uh, Brian Direck, my man in Miami, who is going, he's working with me at the moment. Uh, we're having another call this week about Miami entrepreneur business live part two probably mid-April. Penciled lightly in the calendar is April 16th, but it's TBC. Don't just take days off work yet. Okay, but make sure you come if you can. Uh, Brian Direck has asked, Richard, how do you sell with passion yet not be too forward-leaning or interpreted as being aggressive? Firstly, the most innately or organic way to sell with passion is to be selling something you're into. The reason why I can sell with passion is because I'm selling my products that I, these are my babies that I built myself. 
I found it hard to fake passion about products I didn't care about, and you will too. So make sure you're selling something you believe in and care about, or ideally built yourself. Um, but beyond that, I find that it's, it's better to talk about the ecosystem, talk about the world that your product or service sits within, because that can get you really pumped. If you talk about that with passion, and talk about the subject itself with passion, that is infectious and gets people really keen because you're showing so much of an, a passion about the world uh, within which sits this product they may be buying. Um, so you focus on the on empathy and, uh, and listening and understanding of what their needs may be with passion as well. Okay, what you don't do when it comes to closing them is overdo it with the passion and intensity. You actually, for the buyer, emotionally need to be the steady hand and the measured voice when it comes to crossing over the line and closing the sale. So when it comes to selling at that moment when you're closing, you need to be the stronger uh, uh, or rather the steady hand that is leading in a, I say in a measured way, as opposed to doing, and, and by the way, in passion can come, uh, when you're selling can take the form of intensity and dynamics and emphasis in how you speak, as opposed to hyperactivity and being over energetic. Bouncing off the walls isn't necessarily what people are after, but it's certainly infection if you're, infectious if you're really keen on the ecosystem, the subject, the listening and the empathy of what their needs may be. So that's my treatment of that, Brian, really good question. Jesper on uh, Facebook, and um, by the way, great question, thanks for asking it earlier. Can anyone link the group Richard talked about? Yeah, if you if you if you want to link it in here, it's fine. It's facebook.com. And by the way, a little hack, you don't have to write facebook.com, just they own fb.com. So fb.com forward slash groups with an S forward slash entrepreneur business group. I have the URL, so the whole thing. Okay. So uh, next question, Diana Noyan from Melbourne asked, What's your fitness regime? Diana, this is this is about sales. There's no, no you. <laughs> no, it's fine. My, to be fair, it actually feeds in because um, the great salespeople I've been fortunate enough to encounter over the years look after themselves. And there's all the analogies and metaphors you like about them being a finely tuned machine and all that kind of thing. The truth is, the best salespeople I've found who have the stamina to sell consistently, not just they've got the theory and close a big sale every so often, the ones who can consistently win, they look after themselves, they're fit and healthy, good food, they get sleep, it allows them to be focused and on point, and that really makes a difference uh, when you need to have that lucidity and ability to think laterally in, in, in the moment, uh, which is a really uh, something that you need to have. So my fitness regime, is thanks to Mr. Adam Mosley, who's a personal trainer in London. Uh, if you look up Adam Mosley, M-O-S-E-L-E-Y, uh, based in London, uh, Adam Mosley Fitness, he's on all of the channels. Uh, so he's my um, personal uh, fitness trainer, and I train three times a week in the gym. I do it first thing in the morning, uh, Diana, to make sure that I actually get uh, it done, because otherwise I run out of time. And um, I will, I do different things. So today was a leg day. I do different resistance uh, work. But I also cycle, uh, so I have a bike and I uh, run as well. Um, I'm a marathon runner is my, is my distance. I've done a few of them, but not many recently actually. 
And uh, I'm a fourth dan in Taekwondo, so a black belt in Taekwondo, and I trained for 19 years in that. And I hung up the dobok last year, so I actually don't do that anymore. Um, but that was my training up until up until recently. So Taekwondo is something I've done a long time, that art, but but now as of now is not part of my routine or regime in your words. So that's that's what I do. Plus I have children, which if anyone who has children knows, one of the best cardiovascular <laughs> Uh, uh, things you can do is have children. You have, it keeps you on your, on your feet all the time. Brandon Stewart, next question. What's an example of one of your sales pipelines? It would be That would be gold. Roxana Kruger on LinkedIn also asks something similar. Always a pleasure. Could you talk a little about sales funnels if you think it's on topic? So sales funnels and sales pipelines, we could argue is one and the same thing. For those who are unsure on what that means, a sales pipeline or sale, I would, a sales pipeline typically is um, what things you have in play. So if I've spoken to six prospects and they're all showing interest, that's in my pipeline to potentially close as a piece of business. I feel that what Brandon's actually asking is, the way he's phrased this, he's really asking about myself funnels. And a funnel concept is a, like the shape of a funnel where you have a mass of people in the front, which may not be thousands, it may be seven, but the idea is that they, they, through qualification and certain stages in your sales process, you lose some as you go and out the bottom of the funnel drips the deals themselves. So a perfect example of a sales funnel that is in the play literally this second is a content marketing funnel through to the sale of some of my courses. So for instance, I have um, content on LinkedIn and uh, there's sufficient quality content that piques curiosity and interest in me from people who are being served value on a certain subject area. So for instance, on sales, on engagement, on how to use LinkedIn, stuff, stuff like that. And what happens is that they are, they are interested in the content and they decide because humans do this, that they're curious. And so the natural thing to do is after looking at the content, especially for the first time, like who's this guy? They click on Richard Moore to go to the profile. So step one is the content, um, uh, Brandon and Roxana. Step two is that they self-select, which means they decide to click onto my profile. From there, they see more, you know, it will say things like, I, I help you get more business leads or whatever it is, I, I can't remember lately. Um, but it basically, they click on that and that takes them to, they see more and they it takes them to a list of options, basically, on how they can engage with me. And one or two, one of them, or three of them rather, is, is courses I sell and they can go to that URL, which is my website. So the third step is they go to my website because they've seen content they like, they've self-selected, they want to uh, uh, see more, so they've checked out the profile. This is the funnel here. So now less people will bother to click on the funnel. Even less people will care enough to check out my website on a landing page about, for instance, the basics of sales course. And even fewer, not because I'm rubbish, just because just because of need in the moment, even fewer, maybe seven that day, will click onto the, um, organically decide to click onto the buy page, and then maybe two will buy the course that day. So it's fully organic, and it's based on warming people with value on a topic, sending out a pure signal about what I do. They go from, they go from content to the profile, through to the website, a landing page and then decision to purchase. And that's a simple funnel based on getting a volume of people in the front 
and it trickles down to sales at the end, you see. So that's, that's a nice way of having that thing sell. Um, let's get on to uh, some of the questions on LinkedIn, see what people are saying. I've just decided to mess it up. Hang on a sec. There we go. So Patricia Freudenberg, nice to see you here. Daniel Nunes, thank you very much for watching. Maple Ting still here. Wendy Gilhuller, LinkedIn buffering is obviously not doing very well. Sorry about that. Uh, the main thing is you can hear me and the content's useful, right? Forget the video, it doesn't matter too much. And uh, Matt Crump, good to see you here as well. I hate non-relevant cold calls. In an easily connected world, it's even easier to know who you're calling. I've had people on LinkedIn call on me after connecting who asked me what I do. Really, you took time to connect, you took time to call on me, you took no time to know who you're calling goodbye. Yeah, this is the thing, 2019, do nine seconds of research on a profile, you know what people do. Don't say, so what is it you do? It's, it just shows some stupidity when you can find that information out right away. It's a really good point uh, on the cold calling side. That's why cold calling isn't as prevalent now. It's because it, for many, for many, it's not needed because you can, uh, the thing is people are trying to avoid selling, that's one thing, but even if you aren't worried about selling, it's there's a, perhaps a more of a romantic process for the prospect of maybe using the social side a bit more. Let's do a few more questions. Julie Butler has asked, when a potential customer reaches out to you on LinkedIn inquiring about whether you can make a website for them and your fee, should you give them a fee range or a detailed list of your fees? You should do neither. You should get them on a phone call. You should get them on a phone call or get them on a video call. Or if they're in your locality, you go and meet them. If you send them all of your prices, unless they say there's no price worry, I want to just buy right now, which isn't going to happen. You need to get them on a call because you need to understand needs, right? So what you should be doing is saying, okay, thank you for inquiring about a website and a fee. It depends what you need. Let's hop on a call to discuss the needs further. Then when you uncover, as a good consultant should, what exactly it is the person needs, you, Julie, as the expert, prescribes what it is they should have. Here's an interesting fact about sales, especially when someone's coming to you to buy from you as the expert. We covered this a bit earlier. The interesting fact about sales is that the more options you give someone, the more complex it now feels and the more time someone need, feels they need to take. However, the less options you give someone and the more prescriptive you are, with the context of having gone through a process of establishing what it is they need, the more valuable you are seen as, and the more you are positioning yourself as the expert that knows what's best. People don't want options, they want the solution. They don't wanna know how it works and all of the fine detail, they just want the magic. So when you have a phone call with them, Julie, and they say, I need this type of website with this type of bandwidth and this type of features, your response can then be, now it's informed, here's what you'll need therefore, and here's the price point. And the reason why we don't wanna give all of the information away to them in an email is because it cuts the need to engage with us out of the process. The reason why it's important to keep ourselves in the process is because more likelihood of buying comes from engagement with the person and the familiarity with the person. The short version is the more they're in love with you, the more they want to buy from you. 
So don't cut the most important part of the process out, which is your ability to charm and engage and make them feel comfortable with purchasing and just give them all the information even though it feels intuitive and helpful to give them all the information, because what you're doing is A, slowing down the process by making them do all of the work of working it out, and B, making it, making it the case that if they need any information or any questions answered, you've given them everything, and therefore there's no need to come to you. By omitting the price until such time that they've been sold on what it is you do in principle, so that they earn to earn hearing the price, you move to a place where they're sold on the value of working with you because they're engaging with you and, and the, the package or the, the, you know, the offering you have, they get sold on that and then they will want to buy and with that lean in and that receptivity, now you can give them the price and with the backdrop of feeling sold on the value, they will want to buy it and the price will feel like it makes sense. If you don't sell them or go through the process of making them feel good or comfortable with working with you and then give them the price as well, then they'll be like, well, I'm not really feeling that bothered about it. I'm just fact-finding getting fees. Oh, and here's the price as well. I'm not sold, so I won't want to buy it. Take them through the process. Yes, it's longer, but what do you want here? You want the sale or do you want to get as many of these shot out the door as possible? If you want to do a sale, the best thing to do is go through the process. Rolls-Royce them through the process, give them the full red carpet treatment. Say the, the next thing that should be leaving your lips, Julie, or, or you know, via a voice memo in, in the DM, for example, would be, there's a number of things we can do here. Let's hop on a call and do it as soon as you can. Don't give them all the options you've got. Listen, understand need, prescribe as the expert that knows best because you do don't you? you know best about what websites you need they, they would need prescribe the thing they should buy then if they're sold on it so you pre-close in principle what do you think does it sound good yeah that sounds like it's what i need great here's the price they earn the right to hear the price because they've told you they're sold on the value then they then that makes sense to give them the price if someone hears the price of something that they're technically not sold on it then gets subjectively seen as expensive. And that's just the subjective thing. I think things are expensive until I understand the value of them and it's the same for everyone else. So I hope that helps. Great question, Judy. Thank you so much for that. Let's do two more. Wendy Gilhula, who I think was on uh, LinkedIn with her question. Richard Moore, I'm looking to segue to public speaking. You've done a book series, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, the Pika Bunny Learning Series is to help children navigate a difficult world talking about kindness and saying no to bullying. I include information on school visits to American Pika and how scientists are trying to get this adorable animal on the endangered species list. Now here's the, the key part. As a hashtag Microsoft educator, I have logged over 200,000 hashtag uh, Skype miles, which I believe means you've done lots of Skype calls around the world. Okay, Which companies may be interested in helping me grow my mission? How can I get corporate sponsorship? Thanks for considering. So this is actually really simple. That, that detail is marvelous and noble, but we can put it to one side. The truth is it doesn't matter how good your book is, nor how good you are at public speaking. It's the same as what we said earlier. If you build it, they will come. No, they won't. If you build it, they only come if you distribute it well enough, which means you need to create some attention against what it is you're doing. You need to share this journey inspire people to be interested. The reason why we're having a moderate amount of success in this first year or so of Entrepreneur Business Live is because people are starting to hear about it 
be inspired by the idea that they can learn by being in a room with other people like them, they can network and get commercial value and simultaneously help drive money into local charities. That kind of sense of that, that kind of idea is really resonating with some people. And that is the reason why people have, companies have sponsored my events. They sponsor the events for certain reasons. And I've sold sponsorship in the past. I'm now doing it again. The first time I did this was like 11 years ago. We need to understand about sponsorship. The corporate sponsorship, what you want here, Wendy, it's the same every time. It's like getting investors as well. But specifically with, con with sponsorship, look at it from their perspective. They don't give you money because you're good. It doesn't work like that. Sponsors sponsor people like you because you have attention. Sponsors ultimately want to sell something. And if they can sell to a number of people that you have access to, they are going to be interested in giving you money. It's the same as influencer marketing. I would not call myself an influencer. I've got a long way to go before I'm anywhere near that kind of level. But certainly there have been businesses in the past who said for an amount of money or how much would what would the amount of money be where we can, you know, you can talk about what we do and share that with your audience. So last year, for example, um, I was given a really beautiful uh, Mercedes GLE SUV, it's this huge tank of a car uh, with uh, because as a local um, uh, car hire business uh, called Europe Car was had added it to its fleet. And so they wanted me to kind of just share what it was like to use this car. They wanted me to do that, not because I'm like Jeremy Clarkson. I don't have uh, a deep understanding or knowledge about cars, but I have the attention of the type of people who would hire that kind of car. And having the attention and engagement as well, not just having a bunch of connections, having the engagement as well of a bunch of, of a set of people who might buy that thing means there's the potential for that sponsor who was giving me money to talk about this car and drive it around for two weeks, feeling like I, I was way more wealthy than I, was, than I actually was at the time, um, uh, it allowed them to potentially sell. So for you, no one will give you any sponsorship money to be a public speaker or back your book unless you can show that there's a tension against it. It sounds like you've got a great idea on paper, if you excuse the pun. It sounds like you've already done a lot of the groundwork and you've got probably testimonials coming out of your ears. So the key is to share and share and document the work in between the wins. Don't just share being at a school. Don't just share the date of publishing your book. Share all the bits in between. If you follow my Instagram stories, for example, you don't just see, uh, you know, that we've got the next event on the 5th of October, uh, 5th of December in Ottawa. You're seeing every day me talking about the, the wins and the fails and the fact that we're changing things and the fact that some events screw up and things like that. All of that is the soap opera that people like to kind of follow and be part of. And that draws people in. So be a bit of a media channel or, or a TV show about you on the journey. That'll inspire people. It will start getting people involved. And then you can go to a corporate sponsor and say, I've got this book and I'm taking it to schools around the US. And, and that's all great, but you can add. And people show up every single week for this, or I've shifted this many books, 
or when I do my live show every week, reading bits from the book, or doing lessons for children from the book, or my vlog series, or the animated adventures of Pika Bunny that are now on the YouTube channel, whatever it might be, that generates this much attention can also have it be, is aligned with the kind of people you're trying to target as well. So you're saying to sponsors, like, if you want access to the attention I have, then you can give me some money for it. But no one wants to sponsor anyone who has no attention. The great idea doesn't matter. It's the attention of the great idea that matters. If you look at the music world, there's wonderful talents. You might know, you might have a personal friend, Wendy, who's really good singer, and they still play in bars and no one's found them yet. Meanwhile, you look at someone who's on, you know, who's, who's a worldwide megastar in singing, and you're like, how? They're rubbish. The point is that they've got the distribution, they've got the attention, so that's why they're winning right now. That's why everyone wants to sponsor that person. That's why everyone wants them to be playing at their gig, because they're currently trending. So make sure you've got the attention, and then you'll actually get something. Uh, you, then you've got a reason to want to sell them, because they will only bother if you've got their attention. Perfect example is a business I'm in partnership with um, as one of their kind of a brand ambassadors, for want of a better phrase, uh, a business called uh, Zubtitle, who do captioning for video. Um, in New York this year, we had Entrepreneur Business Live there, and it was focused on video content on LinkedIn. So they sponsored it because we got loads of attention, not just 40 odd people in the room, but everyone watching around the world. That was a lot of attention on this one thing on video content for LinkedIn, and that's what they do. So I have the attention and the engagement of a bunch of people they could sell to, so it was aligned, and therefore they paid me some sponsorship money because they could sell to them. So that's just what you need to bear in mind. Hopefully that helps. That's really uh, an important understanding of the, the sponsorship world. Let's finish up. One more question. Uh, Daniel Nunez uh, has said, you said that sometimes we have to get our hands in the... Uh, expletive, uh, hands in the mud, let's say. Uh, how do you encourage others to get their hands in it with you? So sure, you have to be willing to go through hard stuff uh, when you're selling, for instance, we'll keep it related to sales today. How, if you're, and I've been a sales manager many years and a sales director as well. How do you get people inspired to do the same thing? If it's your business, you're never gonna get someone to be as bought in as you are to work as hard as you will. Some people do work very hard, but they won't want it as much as you with that much heart because it's your business, not theirs. So that's the first thing to be aware of. But it just because of time, there's a really simple way to look at it. People are inspired by leaders who put the effort in, okay? Who roll up their sleeves and work and get in the trenches with them. So that's a start. What I'm saying is if your work ethic is a strong one, it will rub off on people. And that becomes the culture of your team. However, it goes deeper than that. And it's more effective to be aware that if you are going to work your face off in the trenches on the hard stuff, not just to, for, for the, to the ends of the business, but also for that person, for the employee, for the staff member, if you work on the ground to give a disproportionately large amount of effort and energy in the direction of helping develop them, they will feel naturally like they're inclined to do the same back. So it's not just a display of hard work and energy and getting into the hard stuff for the business, Daniel. It's also for the individuals as well. Because the more you do it for a certain person, the more you create what's known as a value debt. 
as in they emotionally feel they owe you now because you, you aren't just an inspirationally hardworking person, you're hardworking for them. And that's the big difference. So whenever I've done well as a sales manager, it's not just because I worked hard, that rubbed off a bit on the team, like he worked so hard, so we naturally do as well. When you work really hard for those individuals, you do the extra for them as individuals based on their own set of needs, they will naturally do more for you. And that's the way you would do it in my opinion. So I hope that helps. Thank you so much for watching today. We're going to finish there. Absolute pleasure. Well done to David Potts for winning the $50. Make sure you join Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. Just do a search for it. Um, Ottawa is next week on the 5th of December. Coming to December already. So it's one week. To, so it's one month to, to Christmas, right? It's the 25th today. One month to Christmas. But the, the 5th of December next week on Thursday, Ottawa Entrepreneur Business Live to see out the year. That is free, that event. If you know someone in Ottawa or you're in Ottawa, you should be going for free to that event. It makes sense. So attend it. You've got Nadine Langoise, you've got uh, Dan Willis and streaming Sam Lister all talking about how they've um, practical, not like wishy-washy, teary-eyed stuff, but practical mindset stuff uh, and attitude things for business. So it's really worth listening into that one. Uh, it will be streaming live in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook and uh, the donations be going to Safe Pets Ottawa. So this is um, working with um, uh, victims of domestic violence uh, and looking after their pets and then reuniting them with those owners uh, when, when kind of things are level again. It's a really great idea. And we are donating all donations. So not like I'm getting a cut of them. All donations are going to that, uh, to, to that charity. So when you buy the ticket, um, you can... Just attend for free, or you can attend for free and donate as well. So I urge you to do the latter. Thank you so much for watching today. I'll say goodbye on Instagram. And if you uh, want to watch the replay, you can do so on IGTV. Thank you for listening on the podcast.